Oaths Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Hello, friends and listeners, and welcome to episode number 12 of season 7 of the Sauce Hermes podcast. My name is Rudolf, I am your host, and I welcome you on this Sunday, November 14th, for our new show. My guest today here is somebody who you've already heard several times here with Sauce Hermes podcast, but only in one interview. David Bess, back in March 2020, is my guest here today, as he was back then in 2020. Uh, when I say he has appeared several times, it's also because we had made a special Q&A session for his first appearance, because so many of you had highly interesting questions to ask him. So we added that as a special treat back then. And of course, he was also part of the first edition of the Sauce Hermes Academy in the fall of 2020. Um, having said that, back then I had the impression that you really liked the Sauce Hermes Academy. And um, I thought back then I might do a second edition sometime in the spring of 2021. But then, of course, with all that happened in the world, I had so many things to do also virtually, well, whatever, professionally. And um, so I just didn't have the time to add uh, another layer and to another academy. Now my question goes to you, dear friends and listeners. Are you interested in another edition of the Thoth Hermes Academy with five more new exciting discussions live with people um, that come on uh, here to, to have a talk to you and then you can discuss with them live if that's of any interest to you. Of course, it's not free, that one. You remember you uh, paid uh, approximately $5, I believe it was, per uh, evening of those. You could buy them individually or a bit cheaper in all five together, but whatever. Um, would you in general be interested in the second edition of that Thought Termis Academy? Let me know. Do send me an email. Do send me an email to info at thoughtshermes.com or go on the website and use the contact form there. Go also on Facebook or Twitter. Talk to me about it. I'd really be interested to have your opinion on that. And if enough of you are interested, then, well, why not do a second edition early in 2022? I think it would be worth it. Right. So, um, having said that, spoke speaking about the website, yes, that's thrusthermes.com. You can go there and find all our previous episodes and um, all the show notes especially. You should go there for the show notes. There are always very interesting um, things to find there. Also, background about the music that we play here. Um, oh, by the way, and I have a... Uh, a listener uh, uh, who has for the third time she has already now posted something on the website directly regarding how this music can be found and bought and thank you so much Elizabeth that you do that it's really great of you 
I like that when people contribute and, and have their own ideas and help other listeners also with that. Thanks again. Thank you also to all you out there who are patrons of this show. There are quite a few. Not enough still. Really, we need more support of you. I'm saying this every time and I don't want to whine. It's just necessary because this show has, as all things in life, a cost. I see that you like the show because listener numbers increase every week. That's great. Would be nice if Patreon numbers would also increase in the same speed. So please go to patreon.com and look for thpodcast.thermis.podcast or go on the website thermis.com and find the Patreon button there. It's easy to be found. It's right there on the top of the first page. Can't be missed. Thank you. Right. I was mentioning music and of course also in this show we have music and it's become a really nice habit that almost each show now I can play music by one of our listeners. I find that great. It has become a little world of its own on the Thoughts Hermes podcast. And I'm really grateful to all of you who are sending me that music. And I'm happy for the listeners because you can discover new occultists' music. Right? So please, if you have something, do let me know. And today... It was our listener, Lazuli Vane. Well, he goes by another name, really, but that's his artist's name, and that's the name he used to announce him here, Lazuli Vane. He sent me three tracks from his album, his new album, his latest album, The Orphic Rite of the Cult of Sedna. And uh, as he says himself, this album was a work of magic and depth psychology for him. A reflective process which helps to purge and clarify certain streams of unconscious material running through him. Well, Lazuli Vane, he is based in Neptune Beach, Florida. His music is influenced by the occult tradition, you'll hear that, and few other traditions besides. Okay, with much, without much further ado, uh, let's go and listen to that first of the three tracks that we are going to hear today from his latest album, the Orphic Rite of the Cult of Sedna, and the first track that we hear is very rightly called Sedna. Enjoy. Dark above, wings to dark beneath. Hey, you, you, eighty-six AU. Why don't you tell me what you've gone through? I've 
Sedna from the new album The Orphic Rite of the Cult of Sedna, proposed and composed and performed by our listener Lazuli Vane. Thanks again. We'll hear more of that album and more from that album later in the show. But now let's go to meet David Beth. David Beth, you know him. He has a background, was born in Africa, was initiated in African cults. Uh, he lives now in Munich, well, near Munich in south of Germany. And he is probably one of the most interesting of his generation, of his younger generation, at least over here in Europe, of all those many very nice and interesting authors. And he has also created his own movement, which is called the Cosmic Gnosis. We were talking about that last time when we interviewed him back in March 2020. And this time, the reason for his appearance is the re-edition, we must say, of a beautiful book called The Cult of the Black Cube, which is not his book. We will explain all that in the interview, but he has contributed a chapter to it and it has been published by Theon Publishing, which is, of course, the publishing house that um, David Beth is also part of and who do magnificent books. And you can't plan those things. I promise I didn't plan, but it's, it happens those days uh, when this podcast appears. It's also the 10th anniversary of Theon Publishing. Um, so really happy anniversary and many, many years to come because it's a great publishing house. And it's so great. I have to say that once again, how those independent publishers, there are a few of them around who are really great, doing great job, and please support him. Please buy their books, Theon and others. There are a number of others. If you go through the website with all the books that I present there, you'll find them. It's really great what they do, and they need your support, especially now that uh, when when we have all those kind of troubles with Brexit, bringing books into the country has become difficult. We talk a little bit about that even in the interview. Yes, right. So, as always, I will read you a few lines, but not from Dr. Arturo Moros, um, who is the author of that book, not by David Bess, who did add a chapter, but by the guy who wrote the foreword. I will read you the first two um, paragraphs from the foreword, which has been written by Thomas Vincente. And yes, guys, you remember him. He was also one of my guests. He closed season three, I believe it was, and uh, it was a very, very interesting interview that you, many, many of you are listening to still. Um, so Thomas Vincente, also somebody you should have a look at if you haven't done so yet. And he wrote the foreword to that book, The Cult of the Black Cube, and the foreword is titled Saturn the Black Star. In this just the acclaimed volume, the late Dr. Moros provides the astute and daring occultist with the keys to remanifesting an authentic cultus of Saturn in the modern world. The foundational symbols and rites of this much maligned and misunderstood deity are distilled through a brilliant survey of his many cultural guises. Dr. Moros demonstrates that the same deity has been venerated under many names. Kronos, Saturn, Suhal, and Shani are but different masks of one primal force. Despite variations in mythological and esoteric presentation, all of these traditions speak to the same fundamental paradox, a god of chaos who eternally devours and remanifests the ordered cosmos. 
In this brief introduction, I further unravel one of the many threads explored by Dr. Moros, the recurring image of Saturn as a black god. Behind this image lies an obscure Mesopotamian tradition concerning Saturn as the nocturnal sun, a tradition that underlies the many cultural streams so expertly explored in this book. The blackness of Saturn alludes to his cosmic alterity as the deity of chthonic depth or remote stellar spaces, and as Dr. Morris explains, it also characterizes the various earthly materials, animals, stones, and metals, to which he is sympathetically aligned. These persistent associations of Saturn and his totemic symbols with the color black can be traced ultimately to the astral cults of Mesopotamia. Assyriologists dedicated to the study of the surviving Owen manuals of Mesopotamian astrology have long puzzled over the fact that omens relating to the sun often turn out to be coded references to Saturn. In other words, Saturn and the Sun are frequently interchangeable. Well, if you want to know more about all that, go and get the book, The Cult of the Black Cube by Theon Publishing. And now we meet one of the owners of Theon Publishing, the guy who contributed also to this book, his own chapter, David Beth. Let's welcome him in his place in the south of Germany, where I interviewed him and Yes, it is a really highly interesting interview. In the middle of it, we'll break, as always, for a little music. But now, let's meet David Beth. Here comes the interview. It was on March 15, 2020, that uh, the last interview with David Best took place and was launched on the Thoughts Hermit podcast. It was season four, then we are now in season seven, and I'm very glad here. Well, um, it's about 18, 19 months later that David is back here with the Thoughts Hermit podcast. David Best, good evening to you. It's great to have you back here. It's great to be back. I'm looking forward to our little session. And uh, yeah, hello to everyone who's going to be listening. Absolutely. Well, we had also our Thoth Hermes Academy in between and a Q&A session back then. But the main interview we had on March the 15th and as it happens and I'm not asking that question to many of my guests or our returning guests, but um, as it happens, the day after the launch of that interview, uh, at least here in Austria, and it must have been a bit similar in Germany, the first Corona lockdown started and a completely new situation to all of us in, in our day-to-day -day life, but of course also in our life as occultists and people who are used to work with other people and to, to gather and to to, to do things uh, in the temple, etc. And all of those things were for a long time not possible, are still difficult at, uh, at the moment. So, David, um, maybe let's spend a few minutes before we start with our main subject here. Sure. That beautiful book, The Cult of the Black Cube, is a bit at the origin of our talk here today. But sure. before we speak about that, how have those 19 months developed for you? Where were for you the main difficulties or maybe challenges, but also maybe there were some gains? I don't know. It's always in, in a crisis, you always find new paths as well. 
Well, it was uh, very difficult, I guess, as it was for everyone, uh, to a degree. But my difficulty uh, was not uh, so much of a psychological nature, like other people had, I think, lots of difficulties with suddenly being cut off from friends and family and so forth. Mm. My difficulties actually were more time-related. Suddenly, I had um, a lot of uh, additional duties, family-related duties, um, which I previously wouldn't have. Um, and basically, I was... Um, engaged all day long with um, yeah let's call it um, domestic chores uh, which um, literally um, took away most of my time uh, besides the running the basic operations of uh, Theon Publishing and um, little time was left for anything else so um, my biggest problem was I had to put basically all other projects on hold um, my writing projects, basically, um, you know, we were, I think last time we were talking, I was uh, uh, in the middle of the Adonis uh, or Adonism book, which was Absolutely. supposed to be already published. And uh, however, I was basically unable to proceed on that book in any kind of uh, meaningful way, of course, bits and pieces. Um, mm. And I still hope to wrap it up now pretty quickly once uh, I can go back into a yeah, proper operation. But um, yeah, you know, one had to edge out time um, yeah. Theon Publishing is a demanding job if you take it serious. You know, editing is a very serious um, job. And if you, you know our books, you know, we, we pay a lot of attention to detail and ex especially also to the editing process. Um, and uh, so, um, as I said, it was a full-time engagement. And uh, thank God, however, um, nobody that I knew uh, in, a, in, a, in a closer fashion suffered uh, with actual corona infections. We mm -hmm. knew some people, but none actually had um, a big problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, thank God I was spared and people, most people I know were spared from psychological setbacks. Um, yeah, difficult times uh, for everyone, including myself, but uh, things are now starting to look up uh, many many of your uh, colleagues uh, in the publishing business had also problems getting the right papers in time and the right. printers to work did you encounter those problems as well as well we had some issues uh, quite big issues companies trying to trick us with uh, uh, inferior quality uh, jobs and stuff like this so we had to um, be uh, uh, you know on target and uh, on our game so it was a little bit annoying and uh, quite uh, stressful at times but um, everything worked out uh, now we have some small delays um, but nothing compared to other people that i know um, we are actually very lucky that uh, we work with mostly very reliable su uh, suppliers who um, mm. always kind of uh, you know squeeze us in if we need it and um, so uh, also the binders uh, the hand binder for example is extremely busy um, and so we were actually qu quite lucky um, to get a slot yeah. uh, this year for you know deluxe bindings and so forth so yeah uh, we're lucky probably I know also because I know more people have time to read and take the time to read because other evening equipment <laughs> uh, evening <laughs> happenings are not are not existing so they exactly. sit at home and have exactly. time to read yeah. but i think as well it was like um, a lot of uh, supply chains were kind of disrupted and yeah. suddenly a lot of projects now actually were um, uh, moved forward which were halted for the past year or so so actually now a lot of things come together which then um, you know create some uh, problematic 
queues and uh, also the prices have gone up prices for paper prices for this prices for that so Definitely. yeah these are all the things that happen behind the scene um, that people of course usually don't know about and don't think about um, yeah it's a tricky yeah. publishing is a tricky business yeah. that uh, you only do if you really love it because otherwise <laughs> it's and there is one thing that you're sitting in Germany not concerned by I may say it here because we talk about that uh, a lot of books, of course, come over from Great Britain, from the United States. And now the EU has entered that that uh, higher uh, tax level for uh, Very for uh, books. So every package is stopped at the border and Everybody. opened. And you have, even if it's not taxed, you have to pay those five euro or whatever for each book that you get um, just because they look at the parcel. And especially for independence, that's, that's very difficult because the big ones, sure. they go through Amazon and people anyway. Sure. But. But, um, uh, my my it, my publishing colleagues in the UK um, have that issue, and um, it's very mm -hmm. stressful, of course. I can imagine, and uh, it's not only that; it's also the couriers, which then handle the custom uh, yes. uh, stuff for you once in a while, then charge you exorbitant amounts of money to clear the package, and uh, absolutely, it's insane. So sometimes you know you pay instead of three euros duty or something like this, you pay thirteen, fourteen, fifteen euros because the company puts ten bucks on it for a processing fee you know it's uh, absolutely it's you're crazy. absolutely right yes but and, it's also that's really bad for independence <clears throat> for sure but also for us sending to britain for example i mean britain is a big uh, it's like an abyss uh, we had also a lot of packages that which were halted at their border um mm -hmm. although books still do not um uh, are not taxed really however um, there is a huge chaos and people were unable to prepare properly for that brexit scenario so um it's a big uh, yeah, you know, let's let's say what it is. It's a shit show, you know. Absolutely. It's not censorship, but it comes to the same result because it's always the small ones and the, the ones that are not mainstream that have more That's problems a, than the others. Sure, sure, sure. But, you know, yeah. we're dealing with it and it's, um, yeah, it's... Um, it's annoying, but, you know, you slowly get yeah. around yeah. and yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's getting better. Well, enough about Corona, but I think it was interesting I, yeah. to hear you on that. And uh, sure. but let's now so delve into deal. our main subject here. Uh, you, in with your great Steon Publishing, uh, released, uh, well, now it's already a couple of months ago almost, that great book uh, by Dr. Arthur Moros, The Cult of the Black Cube, and subtitled A Saturnian Grimoire. And as always, it's a beautiful book when it comes Thank from you, you. and mm -hmm. um, there is also <laughs> a very interesting chapter that you added to the book we are going to talk about that also why you did that and another guest on this show thomas vincente has done a foreword so it's uh, all uh, people that our listeners here know in there but um something very funny happened when that book was launched um, on facebook there was a uh, a storm not a shit storm it was a hail storm <laughs> and everybody not everybody but many people seem to think <clears throat> you were hiding between the pseudonym which was it is a pseudonym and it's said that it is yeah. a pseudonym of dr arthur morris and um, well we should make a statement about that here well yeah we? i mean i was apparently one of the likely candidates uh, according to people also um thomas vincento whom you've mentioned uh, uh, also i uh, heard was uh, considered to be um, one of those and uh, what was to me the most interesting apart from uh, thinking it was hilariously funny and um, you know something that i <laughs> gladly engaged with because it was just you know amusing in a sense you know because it wasn't uh, in a as you said it wasn't a shitstorm it wasn't in a bad spirit uh, it was all. kind of no, like no. 
interesting yeah. speculations and so forth. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, kind of made you the star of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would have loved to be the author of that book, you know, because I think that book is a great book. And um, so I would have uh, loved to take uh, uh, the glory for it. And um, there would have been no reason for me not to write it under my name. I mean, my name's out there, so it would have made no yeah. sense at all to not, um, you know, uh, call it by uh, sure. what it would be then. However, um, it's uh, it's actually uh, literally not me. It's not uh, Vincente either. It's uh, another person who had to use a pseudonym because of, um, well, sensitive uh, environment in which he lived and operated and um, which was then, um, yeah, uh, it was necessary for him to use that uh, pseudonym. So mm -hmm. it is uh, a living, uh, uh, was a breathing living person uh, other than myself. Um, actually, I've never, I've never met him in uh, physical life. However, we've spoken on, uh, just as we do on a, uh, Uh, on a Zoom or on a Skype uh, sessions and stuff like this. And we became close, uh, close friends and colleagues in, in many ways. Um, yeah. And my relation to him is... is unfortunately, he, he, he died, right? Yeah, well, exactly. So there will yeah. uh, be no uh, Moros uh, uh, books coming. Uh, there are some... Mm. Uh, his family retains, of course, uh, materials and... Uh, Uh, so does uh, Sepulcher Society, of uh, where he was also uh, involved with. So there are some bits and pieces around. So maybe one day we can gather a few of those and see if that uh, merits uh, some publication. Um, let's yeah. see what what's out there at one point, maybe. But there will be no more books uh, uh, newly newly written um, uh, by uh, uh, Moros because yeah. that would no longer yeah. physically be possible. Sure. Yeah. Um, so. How did the idea of that book come together? Did you inspire Moros to write it or how did it all start with that book? Well, you know that this edition we just put out is the second edition. So um, the first edition came out a couple of years, uh, three, three years or whatever it was um, uh, ago. And uh, well, you know, it was one of these days where we talked uh, about, um, you know, our common interests and uh, discussed a few things. And, uh, uh, um, you know, we both had some Saturnian interests and um, he said he was writing. And of course, that's his main interest. So we were uh, discussing that and. Uh, I don't know who was the who was the one that actually um, proposed the idea of uh, releasing something. He's written a lot of Saturnian related things for you know the Sepulcher and this or that, uh, but basically doing it for himself uh, and, and and close friends and colleagues, uh, not to really publish it. Um, and then uh, he approached me. Um, I think uh, that's how it how it went, and asked if that if it would be something that we would want to work on and 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 be doing with Saturn, and uh, you know, because uh, he made a promise to Saturn, I made a pact to Saturn um, that it should be released and that he would be working on it. So that's how it basically that's how it went, you know. And of okay. course, I thought it was a great idea because I uh, you know I thought his stuff was great. It certainly is, and it is an extremely, even though it's only 192 pages, but it's an extremely complete um, overview of the Saturnian 
current maybe let's put it that way to yeah. leave it in that global aspect as the book goes it goes from islamic approach to saturn to india also who has a very strong approach yeah. to saturn something that i must say i discovered when i read the book i had no idea but yeah. i knew the names of the gods he cites there but i didn't know that they were yeah. in some way related to our saturn um so why in your now personal opinion, why is that planet, that God, or give it a name yourself, mm -hmm. uh, why is that, that power, whatever you want to call it, um, such an important and strong and at the same time also obscure and a bit strangely looked at um, power, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. um, within the occult current? What is so special about Saturn? Well, I think um, Moros uh, uh, kind of fleshed it out really well. I mean, he made, you know, the book is divided in three parts. And the first part is that kind of like more scholarly investigation into that cross-cultural um, uh, manifestation of a Saturnian deity. Um, it is, uh, in my opinion, so present because in, in various cultures, you find a deity um, which is not related to, let's say, a natural phenomenon like, I don't know, a thunderstorm or, you know, a, 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 a specifically an earth deity or, you know, but mm -hmm. there is a, a type of power which is at the same time extremely prominent, ex extremely uh, uh, powerful, but at the same time, as you said, obscure. And you find it mm. as far um, uh, spread out as, as you said, India, but also South America, Africa, you find it in all kinds of places. And um, uh, I would I would shy away from calling it an, uh, a deity uh, based on an abstract type of experience. But I think it's an experience. It's a human experience um, which uh, becomes an enthusing power. It's an experience um, humans make in the world uh, uh, in which they live, regardless of place. Um, and this then gets... Um, or this then produces certain type of phenomena and is uh, uh, cross-culturally apparently um, similarly attributed, um, which then to Moros and to myself as well, um, uh, produces, a, let's call it a, a global Saturnian uh, power, which can be found in different places under different names or, you know, of course, uh, in different manifestations, uh, depending, of course, on um, place, uh, location, on the mentality and so forth. Mm -hmm. But you can still call it, there's still a flavor which is Saturnian in a sense, right? Can you give us a description of that flavor, of that power, of that current that we call Saturnian and that, of course, other cultures give another name to? Well, I guess, uh, you know, there are the famous uh, traits that um, lots of occultists, that's why I guess the book is also popular, because as you said, it's an alluring, um, it's an alluring power that's also uh, so evasive at the same time. But of course, you know, we all know about Saturn being, uh, you know, hindering, like making things slow, um, putting obstacles in your path. Um, uh, 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 obscuring uh, spiritual progress, um, being a cold deity, um, which uh, 
uh, which the power which is not like fast working but slow but when it comes it's a very like an avalanche type of grinding power which then you know melts you down and uh, against which is no resistance um, mm -hmm. but at the same time uh, it seems to be a power which can uh, grant huge benefits once it's uh, understood in a proper way or um, a proper uh, how's it called um, worshipped in the proper way or um, mm -hmm. tagged into or tapped into in a certain way um, or it was um, known as a ruler of a time before the current um, cosmic order took over and um, which had its own type of rules and uh, its own types of uh, um, patterns uh, after which it uh, ruled the cosmos and after which then people lived before the other gods uh, marginalized it and tried to um, destroy it but wasn't uh, weren't able to do um, and so then it was relegated that obscure place um, at the margins of the universe or uh, in Tartarus or in hell or wherever um, you can find this marginalized deity which um, apparently is not conquered properly and which still retains a power um, lurking, waiting for opportunity and um, something still that needs to be guarded against, um, but is not in full control of the cosmos as it used to be. So, yeah. Uh, those um, particularities of Saturn that you name here, of course, to the in any case to the non-occultist ear but even to a, a big bunch of occultists of course sound very negative and difficult and, and hard to approach and you are unable to master them etc um, but at the same time as you say yourself you have that aspect that he also brings us forward he's the gatekeeper in astrology and a gate is an obstacle but it also opens up to new realm so how does how does that relate also in that book and in regards to the archetypal structure all across the world well um i guess that really well, yes, yeah, it really depends, I would say. I mean, um, it brings us forward usually by um, overcoming a lot of these Saturnian traits. It's like we accept, let's say, the harshness, the discipline, the, um, the slowness of process. Um, uh, oftentimes, those negative qualities of Saturn um, are described as uh, something we must suffer, undergo, embrace, and even in a sense, um, in order to transmute them, and then they bring us forward. Um, or they are like testing us, uh, yeah, as, as a gatekeeper would probably test us. But it's usually always something that um, we need to transmute. It's never something to indulge in, in a sense, right? So, um, or at least um, it's usually not that way. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so people... Uh, I'm not really big on astrology, I have to say, so I wouldn't really know anything about uh, astrological um, dealings with Saturn. Um, but um, from the experiences I have in relation to groups and people working with Saturn, it's usually um, the idea that the Saturnian qualities, which are usually 
problematic need to be not ignored but um, transmuted in order for us to pass through them and pass beyond them because we don't want to linger within their uh, force field you could say and um, this is of course something I see very differently and uh, um, and so usually it's uh, usually it's it's considered like either you transmute them or you go under either you brave them or you are ground down um, and uh, you know there are there are um, entire groups which uh, you know uh, deal with Saturn as uh, this type of gatekeeping entity um, which try to basically transmute and um, you know mold its uh, negative qualities into virtues which then lead you beyond Saturn um, or you know transmute the, the 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 Saturnian issues into more transcendental uh, powers or. Absolutely. Some some ceremonial magic currents, um, especially some of them which are Egyptian influenced, have a very nice symbol regarding what you just said. Their temple stone, altar, altar stone in the middle of the temple would normally be white at the bottom because it takes the white power from the earth and black at the top because it has to, you have to transcend the black in order to to ascend to heaven's end. That's in a way exactly what you just expressed by by the Saturnian power, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. I mean, I, I, I virtually know of um, no groups or no individuals which uh, 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 consider the Saturnian uh, powers as positive in themselves. Um, as po the, the most positive I remember from uh, dealing with others is basically uh, either you use them to uh, harm people so you can tap into that in a But if it comes to yourself and uh, the more, let's call it cosmic um, uh, constellations of Saturn, it's usually something um, that is used as um, a test of your resilience, a test of your discipline, a test of your qualities, a test of your um, long lasting ability to endure. Um, and it's never something that anyone would um, glorify in its own right. I would say, um, and uh, it's um, yeah, uh, it's it's something that I've never come across in any other way. Um, it's usually it's usually that. And um, well. one should ask now: Is Corona a kind of a, a, a Saturnian um, expression uh, in order to go beyond and and change something? Well, I, I would be sure that some people could actually or will probably make this uh, argument. I'm sure there are people who say, well, you know, it could be a Saturnian plague, you know, that was uh, uh, sent from I don't know the Saturnian deity to. Um, um, you know, wipe out uh, parts of humanity, or, 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 or you know, mm. you know, induce psychosis and 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 stress or something like this. Well, that's of course not my opinion. You know, my opinion would be the only uh, uh, the only Saturnian test in my view is literally um, the psychosis people go through because. And now, actually, mind you, Corona 
the, the greatest impact that I see that Corona has made is basically in the West, um, where people are used to a very safe life, a life where, you know, the future is very predictable or quite predictable, where we live a life which is very linear and very goal and future orientated, where we make like long term, mid term, short term goals. You know, mm. um, Americans have this in their businesses. They have to constantly, you know, uh, uh, you know, make short term goals in business and, and mid term goals. And suddenly, you know, we are prevented from um, making, making, uh, creating targets, creating um, visions of a future and um, reaching them. Uh, because Corona has stopped that type of process. And uh, the lo a lot of psychological problems people had, in my opinion, was because that linear, organizational, future-orientated, goal-orientated life was no longer possible the way they um, were used to. And suddenly they were thrown into a, you know, uh, into a crisis, which, in my opinion, um, is Saturnian, but Saturnian in the way that I describe it in my essay. It's Saturnian in the sense that it um, punctures that logocentric um, linear experience mm. of the world and our of our lives, our you know career and um, progress that we feel we are um, having while we move along. You know the timeline. This is suddenly disrupted in such a un. Uh, uh, in such an uncommon way and in such a brutal way that people have been thrown into a type of uh, psychosis, lots of uh, lots of mm. people. And you don't see it so much in Africa or in uh, uh, South America. People have other problems to deal with, you know. Other problems, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. a, a type of a corona where, uh, you know, a lot of people die or may have issues, you know, it's just alongside so many other diseases which uh, may even be a lot deadlier in those places. Um, and at the same time, they don't live such a linear life. They're, they're not so obsessed with careers and stuff like this because oftentimes they don't even there's no there's no there's no way of having one so you know their their life is a is a totally different type of life psychologically so, and 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 opportunity wise so, so in that context or not only focusing on on corona only now but in that type of crisis is saturn rather a challenge as you said and not so much a danger it's rather a challenge to overcome as you said and to pass beyond and have learned something by that. Well, I hope so. I hope some people can see it like this. You know, I mean, I hope that some people um, can wake up to the reality that maybe the uh, linear, logocentric type of life, which they have uh, come to accept as uh, normal and as uh, desirable, um, may not be the type of life they wish to live because um, it's basically chasing um, virtual goals that you set. Um, Uh, rather than enjoying uh, the moment that you live in and uh, experiencing the world in a fundamentally different way. So if this can be a wake-up call, yeah, then good for them. But I really don't think that a lot of people will come to this conclusion. I think a lot of people will just see this as a terrible time, uh, which then they hope that medication and, uh, uh, you know, science can solve for them, uh, just as they hope that all the problems uh, they face in the future can be solved by a futuristic um, uh, focus on, um, well, uh, progress, I guess, you know, this is what the, I mean, I guess the postmodernists would probably already see it a little bit differently, but the modern mind is still hoping that, you know, the future will bring the remedy for any problems we may face. 
Um, Absolutely. Like a certain Mr. Elon Musk recently said, he is not going to pay 50 billion taxes because he needs the money to save human consciousness by transporting it to Mars. Can you imagine? Um, I was just flabbergasted. Nice word for that. Flabbergasted by that. You know, I mean, it's amazing. This is this is it. This is, you know, thinking like this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is, uh, you know, Saturn then is nothing, you know, for, to these people is nothing like a, an obstacle to overcome, uh, a crisis to overcome. And then, um, you know, they get even more fanatic after such a test or such a disruption, mm -hmm. you could say. So it's not that they will turn to a different type of um, uh, world experience or something, which, of course, there would be much more needed than a type of fright that the world we live in and the experience we have is not maybe um, uh, bulletproof. Um, but, uh, of course, uh, much more would be needed to change this around. However, um, in my opinion, it seems and it tends to make people just more fanatic in their resolution mm -hmm. that the future will um, solve the problem. I mean, you can see it also in, yeah. in, 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 in wokeness, cancel culture, this entire isms, you know, um, you know, just they believe. Yeah, and in the debate in the climate problems climate, that we face. The, narrow, narrow, the yeah, narrowing yeah. of the tunnel in which you can still debate things intellectually um, is like, you know, the thing they believe that by, I don't know, making in the future that if we behave like this and this, all our problems will go away. Racism will go away. Um, uh, sexism will go away if we make just enough rules for the future that everybody will um, adhere to rather than trying to think in much bigger ways in which we could solve our issues. I'm tempted to ask you a very difficult question. So you are allowed to say, no, I don't answer that. <laughs> um, how would you define human nature? as a very, very complex cluster of uh, pieces. Um, mm -hmm. Human nature uh, is, in my opinion, um, where if we can tie into what we have said in the other interviews we did, in the other chats we've had, um, I believe human um, personality is a, a mixture of uh, what Ludwig Klag is called the spirit and the soul. And depending on that mixture, um, it gives an infinite amount of personalities um, and that produces just a, you know, a wide margin of, 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 of humans. And can human nature, with the help of occultism eventually, or Saturn, or other gnosis, can it evolve to a point that it overcomes that type of um, dualistic... Um, uh, problems. I, and I'm talking about uh, a majority. I'm not talking about individuals mm -hmm. who might be able to, but as a society. It's it's hard to say. Um, I I wouldn't I wouldn't feel fit enough to predict uh, whether there will be I don't know uh, a happy ever after for humanity or um, I I'm not yet sure if I'm a cultural pessimist or I'm going to be a cultural optimist. You know I'm right now I'm hanging in between. I do believe things come in cycles in a sense. So um, I believe uh, if humanity doesn't basically. Um, become so divorced from the actual experience of cosmic 
enthusing powers around them and basically like probably musk would want to um, project human consciousness into some type of ultra abstract digital space um, i would mm. say there may be a, a, a hope for humanity as a as a species in the sense um that we do not become completely um mind only larvae but we can still retain a type of cosmic vitalism which then um, maybe uh, allow us to integrate um, uh, you know mental and conscious activity in a uh, in a healthy way which um, also does not then disregard especially of course then um, cosmic reality demonic reality mm. Bi mm. biocentric reality You know, I have to disappoint you. I had no answer when I had your age, neither. And I'm 61. I still have not found it. So <laughs> well, <laughs> I think we have both a long way to go for. Well, I'm yeah, better. I know. But even <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, you know, I don't even think we have to find it. I know only one thing that we as individuals, however, we can um, escape that type of mill. And it's not really an, an escapism in the sense that you don't want to deal or be confronted with reality. Um, I think actually even... Um, this, uh, like we just said, like this, this kind of um, uh, modernist environment we in the West especially live in, where you know suddenly, basically, the uh, we're in an identity crisis in the West, right? And you can see it by this um, harsh, um, uh, hysteric conversations people have with each other and the inability to come to terms with each other on any level. Um, yes. This is uh, something that I can, I, I do believe, we can overcome as individuals. Uh, that we as uh, that we can. Um, even grow in such a hostile environment because you know i guess nietzsche would probably be in agreement that tough times breeds strong individuals you know that um, if you approach it in the right way um, that such uh, trials and tribulations um allow us to grow as individuals but of course then we cannot be bound or play by the rules in which everybody else plays because otherwise um you know we would endanger ourselves in the sense that we would be afraid of uh, being cancelled of shitstorms of being you know taken out of circulation mm -hmm. so um you have to you have to look inside and um Uh, live by another set of values, um, then I believe you can overcome not only um, the tendencies that we see uh, around us today in the contemporary moment, but also in general, um, we can maybe come to a more healthy living, which then um, balances uh, a biocentric experience, which I believe is more real um, with, um, of course, uh, the machinations of uh, rational consciousness and, and, and and what you could call the, you know, the logos, the logocentric thinking and so forth. Mm -hmm. But it's not easy. And I believe uh, an alchemical uh, uh, transmutation is needed, but other than most alch alchemists would say, it's not the spirit that needs to transmute the soul, but it would be vice versa, in my opinion. Okay, don't forget what we just said, David and I, about the soul and the spirit because we'll continue that thought right after that little break. And in this little break, we're going to hear another piece of music, of course, <laughs> another piece of music by our listener, Lazuli Vein, and from his album, the latest album that he issued, The Orphic Rite of the Cult of Senna. If you want to know more about Lazuli Vein, of course, 
you can do that by going on his website, lazulivain.com. And if you do not know how to spell that, well, go to the Thos Hermes website and you go to the show notes and find that link there. Very easy. If you don't know how to spell Thos Hermes, you should learn how to spell Thos Hermes. Okay, guys. Right. The second track that we listen here to is called The Next New Day, Part 1. And uh, after the next new day, part one, we will immediately go back to David Beth and continue our talk. And at the end, at the very end of the interview, we'll return with the third track of music. And that track is called Abraxas. Okay, so once again, the next new day, part one by Lazuli Vane. After that, interview part two with David Beth and... At the end, Abraxas, again from that lovely album, The Orphic Rite of the Cult of Sedna. Enjoy. Touch is to burn, to look is to die, to remove from the caves, to bunch in the sea, brimming with life, but deadly to some. This game of danger has progressed too far to ever turn back, to ever go back again.
How do you transmute the soul to the spirit? You mean how do you empower the soul so it uh, can uh, grow stronger again and transmute the spirit? Yes. Well, this is this is the entire work we do in the current that I'm associated with. It's uh, exactly exactly. Well, yeah. Um, uh, without like um, uh, breaching my oaths and so forth. Um, but I believe there are uh, ways uh, where, you know, people need to reconnect with nature and I'm not even, and not in a sentimental way, um, but in a fundamental way, um, uh, not in the sense of, um, you know, uh, being just environmentally conscious or, you know, um, declaring themselves to be neo-animists. And uh, however, it's a very, very, difficult process of uh, working with a teacher in my opinion someone who has uh, who can mirror you who can um, uh, call you out if you are uh, betraying yourself because that's what of course our egos do our personality the way uh, we have grown them uh, in which we um, of course believe ourselves to be insulated um, identities which just need to bring our unconscious um, facets to the light um, in order to conquer them this type of thinking must be um, completely um, recontexted uh, in order uh, in my opinion to strengthen um, uh, a type of um, biocentric vitalist um, living i mean bataille tried it you know in his uh, acephalic mm -hmm. group you know by uh, you know going out uh, to woods and uh, making doing certain rituals by using certain symbols um, in the right, and this is important, I believe symbols used in the right um, embedding can have a very strong effect if the people associated with the work in which that symbol is used um, understand why the symbol is used in that certain way, and then it can trigger certain experiences. Um, you know, basically, you know, 
trying to it's, it both it goes both ways in that it, how it, it goes that. both ways and i i guess it's it's a very ecstatic work a work where you try to crush your um sense of eye consciousness in the favor of something other that resides within your organism i call it the demonic eye or you know like the black hole some uh, a more fluid sense of self which it has nothing to do with the self we understand as me as i as david beth or rudolf you know mm. um mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. another type of i um which can only come to the surface in an ecstatic moment um, where, you know, Eros and Thanatos um, become married in that very, very specific sense. And it's, of course, even when I say that, I know it's going to be misunderstood because everybody says, well, yeah, my sex magical rituals or my ecstatic dancing, you know, um, it has nothing to do with this. That's why Bataille and, and Klages uh, thought it so difficult. You know, your life really either has to be in danger you know to experience such a moment where your um, sense of i is annihilated and something else can come to the surface and so it's a very difficult process which i believe um is 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 basically nearly impossible to do on your own because there are safety mechanisms in your setup which doesn't allow you to go that far and um mm-hmm. of course people in our modern times it's another typical um, manifestation of the modern times they are anti-teacher anti-group anti-authority because you know we are being taught our individuality that we see the i the me david has to be even more individuated at all times and individuation cannot come by being told what to do, which of course is a totally uh, wrong sense of even a teacher. A teacher is not there to tell you what to do. A teacher is there to guide you in the right uh, direction and to call you out when you are uh, betraying yourself. This is what it is. And of course, bad, bad uh, students have bad, bad teachers and bad teachers get back with bad students. So it's uh, also unfortunately in the West like this very often. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But that brings me to to your chapter in the book, The Cult of the Black Cube. Um, if I understand well, but correct me on that, uh, that chapter was added by you. It's a chapter, you could say, of the book, because Arthur Moros was unable to finish it somehow. And it contains, of course, much of sure. your current of uh, and its Saturnian view, view you that you have on, on the matter. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in that chapter, I find find a lot of those things that you just said. And one could also argue, especially when you discuss in that chapter, the fact that you also take the female aspect in that's that bad, bad old teaching habit as it existed a lot and which created part of the movement against teaching uh, was also very male dominated and very testosterone guided etc instead of being the right teacher as you said not Mm -hmm. opening the gates but do that Mm -hmm. right Um, would you would you agree on that or do you see that differently that uh, basically the lack of female authorities uh, made it harder for people to embrace the teacher model or yeah yeah yes um partly i guess yes because uh, although even i see today i mean we had blavatsky and uh, you know uh, the unfortunate people like this who are also of course being quite cancelled today because you know of uh, all mm-hmm. kinds of un you know, problematic teachings which of course in their time seem not to very be very problematic um but mm-hmm. at the same time uh, i think it could have to do with that um uh, to, to to wrap it all up uh, my chapter actually it, it basically contains only my own 
uh, teachings and views uh, on Saturnian deity because Morris pla had planned to actually write a chapter on the Saturnian views of the cosmic Gnostics uh, and the, mm -hmm. the cosmic mm -hmm. current, and he couldn't do it. So, you know, I was asked um, by, you know, my partner Jessica and some other people, um, and the Morris estate, you know, thought it was a great idea if I would, you know, write it myself then and just present it as my own, uh, my own work as an, mm -hmm. you know, appended mm -hmm. to the book. So, yeah. Um, I believe that the, the, the big problem in the world, which led to the dethronement of the Saturnian deity and its world um, order or its cosmic order, was the crushing of um, the female um, uh, the female aspect uh, or the female uh, 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 electrons uh, in the uh, talismatic cell, in the cosmic cell. The, the cell. I believe the cosmic order to be in harmony when male and female aspects keep each other in balance. Um, and with the uh, ascending of the transcendental powers of the Uranian powers, um, there was suddenly an imbalance. There was no more um, harmonious exchange of those two aspects, but there was suddenly an oppression of the female um, elements. Um, and um, uh, so I believe it's not so much maybe the lack of female teachers, but it's a lack of, um, in general, a type of... Uh, uh, f female element in the world which is tangible, which is manifesting itself properly. And um, I even believe to be, however, um, uh, uh, radical feminism, for example, where suddenly the male element is considered evil, is just another in my opinion, it's actually mm. not fa not feminine. It's actually uh, the typical reaction of a, a, a male-dominated uh, world. And when I say male, yeah. I don't mean by men per se, although the sexual male does rule the world in an unhealthy way, I believe. But uh, mm -hmm. when I say, I, I mean this in a metaphysical way, that this harmony is destroyed, it leads to imbalance one radical against the other radical, and that's not healthy. So we need to bring it back into mm -hmm. balance. And I believe Saturn was um, a metaphysical, or when, when the Saturnian powers were um, dominant in the world um, or manifested their world order, those um, harmony was in place. And it created a type of experience for humanity, which was unlike the one we have today, a more biocentric experience. But why? but why do you think that um, many or even most Saturnian groups have a rather ambivalent view on on women or would you think I exaggerate no, you that? Wouldn't. I, 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 I take it a bit from your from I your think chapter. you're 100% correct. Um, I believe that is the case because uh, the, the Saturnian deity champions um, uh, a balanced uh, a, a balanced uh, uh, male-female uh, manifestation in the world. Um, it um, is uh, anti-transcendental, um, where anything that I consider to be transcendental um, has the male element um, in dominance and oppresses mm -hmm. the female element. So I believe that, of course, if you want to um, uh, overcome the Saturnian element and consider the uh, Saturnian element as problematic and a stumbling block or something to be transmuted, then the unhealthy, seductive, female, non-transcendental um, element needs to be 
controlled, dominated, uh, sub uh, sublimated, or whatever you want to call it, but it has to be um, controlled by the transcendental, rational, um, you know, uh, logocentric magus um, with his uh, 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 male-dominating um, uh, uh, approach. So uh, I believe, of course, you know, um, this is to be the uh, this to be the case in most Saturnian groups. They they view the uh, female element as suspicious, as. Uh, um, uh, basically manifesting the Saturnian and it's most dangerous um, uh, which is why it has to be overcome, controlled and sublimated so that the Saturnian right. can be um, left behind eventually or um, made un-Saturnian you know what I mean um, yeah, turned yeah, into yeah, something yeah, different yeah. than it was when you say that the transcendental part is um, male dominated um what would be its i hesitate using the word opposite because that's so again not what we want to do but what, what's the what's the counterpart let's use the word counterpart yeah. to transcendentalism i would the counterpart would be a, ter a certain type of um you know well you could call it a catonic type of uh, worldview however catonic not um uh, not not understood in that simplistic sense where it's just underworld or earthbound so but where the the catonic and the uranian um form one cosmic um whole where um however it's all within a cosmic scenario where let's call the uranian male and the catonic female where these powers um form one cosmic cell um which is then of course a certain type of uh, it's not a dualism it's a polarity where the polarity forms the cell and this cell this polarity is basically um united by the center and the center i call the the mater the magna mater the mother right so it's basically a maternal cosmos um rather than let's not call it catonic let's call it maternal the maternal cosmos mm -hmm. unites the catonic and the uranian sphere in a um in a cosmic whole uh, which then has no need of any type of non-cosmic transcendental um überbau or a source mm -hmm. which commanded it into being which thawed it into being so um you know the body and the soul as um as as needing as 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 needing each other to to be or to become um uh, right. uh, are united within a maternal cosmos um which of course then unites the male and the female elements in a harmonious um process in a constantly interacting mm -hmm. Um, heroes gammas um, and this can happen and can take place fully without any type of transcendental um, uh, control station or mechanisms or um, yeah. whatever yeah. you want to call it and and that is typically the view of of course cosmic gnosis as well exactly. that's that's what you explained exactly. there it's, right it's exactly what i think it's uh, you know the cosmos is uh, perfect as is 
Um, however, the cosmos we usually perceive is a cosmos that's completely distorted um, by the powers of um, the rational mind. Our rational discursive fa facilities mm. falsify a cosmos into subject-object, and it doesn't allow us anymore to, uh, to, to, to ecstatically connect to our environment in any type of uh, meaningful way, but the uh, rational consciousness culls the cosmos that we usually see the day conscious cosmos from those experiences which are processed unconsciously of course um, uh, and this is the cosmos we usually perceive so I believe that there's a cosmos lurking and pulsing behind that cosmos uh, that we see in our day conscious or experience in our day conscious life and this day conscious cosmos that we um, false, falsely experience as real is controlled by a transcendental faculty which uh, mm -hmm. which which is the rational mind and which is of course the um, self-conscious uh, facility um yes and uh yeah that's that's how i see it does uh, mean we go a bit away from saturn here but we return i promise and to the book as well but um does cosmic gnosis having said what you just said have maybe not answers, but um, beginning to ask the right questions in regarding to um, questions of nature and the 21st century and the problems that the world faces on that. In that respect, where where does Cosmic Gnosis start to find its answers there? Well, I think it's uh, absolutely vital. And I believe, you know, that uh, the Cosmic Gnosis is uh, uh, the 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 premier vehicle to um, live a, a, a environmentally conscious life and a, a much more sophisticated environmentally conscious life because unlike some of these neo-animistic neo-polytheistic um, or whatever groups which uh, or even friday for future or all these environmental groups which um, drum up environmentalism um, they do this very often uh, because of very rational ideas like oh if we destroy the environment um, we as a human species will have a problem we will die or we will perish or um you know, or they have sentiments about, oh, the poor animals, um, you know, will die. So it's it's a very rational consideration of why um, we need to save the environment. Or, um, and it goes so far as uh, that people say we have to monetize um, the uh, 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 saving of the environment in the sense we have to make clear that it costs us so and so much if we don't save the environment. Mm. So then people yeah. will understand and say rather than paying later more, we, we do it now. And, you know, so, uh, so, yeah, so yeah, the yeah, problem yeah. is people do not want to save the environment because the environment is a sacred uh, place of independent enthusing powers which uh, are um, connected to you in a very meaningful way because the meaningful way that we connect to the enthusing demonic forces of the cosmos has been taken away from us. We see them as things, we see them as object, the tree is an object um, or it's if at all, it's a it's a it's a something that we have a, an aesthetic appreciation for. Um, the animals a little bit better. We 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 love the animals on a on a on a more deeper level than maybe a mm. tree or like a or a rock or a, the the ocean. But um, in a biocentric cosmic experience of the world, um, 
the environment becomes not as a whole, but also as a whole, but also in its myriad um, uh, 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 fractions, uh, a, a, a cosmos of enthusing forces which have a very, very specific, unique way of interacting with us if we have the faculty to actually do it. And once this happens, the way we interact with our environment and with these forces and with the environment in itself, once we know how to do this, it is such an overwhelming, intimate experience that this gives basically a manifestation to a type of ethos and a type of mm -hmm. a worldview and a type of world experience which immediately would make us protectors of the environment because we would feel as guardians of that space which mm -hmm. is so meaningful to us on so many levels so that is why i believe yeah would you No, sorry. No, no. No, sorry. No, okay. just, just saying that that is why I believe yeah. that the work yeah. of the cosmic Gnostic is so deep and so sophisticated and appreciates the environment on a much deeper level than any type of aesthetic or um, uh, 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 sentimental um, evaluation of the environment can produce. And most people, however, under or, or you or utilitarian, or utilitarian, of course, that's even right. of course much worse. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, or monetary. Yeah. Yeah. But um, of course, most people do not have that facility anymore. People do not have the depth mm -hmm. of soul that is needed in order to um, break through to that ecstatic, demonic um, intermarriage, you could say, with um, the forces of the world. It's just like that. Would you accept, Would you accept the label occult activism for cosmic gnosis it's not so much an activism um like we probably would uh, understand it today where um you know we try activists would try to go out and convince people sometimes with uh, very mm. you know problematic methods activists are radicals you know which um you know do whatever mean or what by whatever means necessary will convince people i do not think that that's that that's a good idea i think um Unfortunately, that um, the cosmic gnosis cannot be taught. It cannot be rationally accepted. You can accept some of the principles as sensible, um, but if you do not make the experience, um, which I try to hint at, um, it will not allow you to um, do what's necessary in order to live the life um, yeah. that yeah. this type of intimate rapport with uh, the natural powers would force you to live like. Well, that, that, well that, that is almost the definition of occultism itself, right? right? In, in a sense, yes. If you can say, but yeah. this occultism is derived directly from the interaction with the biocentric reality or the, or the natural world in that and case, not with, sure, let's yes. call it like yes. um, fantastic demons we conjure out of thin air. You know, it's not like I sit yeah. in my home and say like, yeah. oh, Asteros uh, yeah. is in my brain and he speaks to me, you know, and he tells yeah. me all kinds of things. Yeah. But it's... Yeah. It's literally, yeah. it's literally embracing the, uh, the, 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 the phenomenal reality as an enthusing ocean of forces. Uh, and I mean phenomenal mm -hmm. reality not only in the sense of nature that we can touch outside, but also dreams and anything that we consider to be uh, the symbols, uh, even books, uh, songs, uh, stories. All of these things can potentially become, when they are, written produce when they are when these when they are manifested under a state of uh, 
demonic rapport in a biocentric cosmic sense, then they become symbols themselves of that experience and they then embody demonic forces and then they can be tapped into or related to um, by people who have that dimension of soul which allows it to do, which allows us to, which mm -hmm. allows them to do mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah. So it's a different yeah. thing than, um, you know, thought forms that you create in your head and you interact with. So um, that's a completely different yeah. thing. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Now going, now going back to the book, because the book is also undertitled a Saturnian grimoire, of course. And um, Moros speaks in the book about uh, the cult, of course, of, of the Black Cube and Saturnine devotion, Saturnine magic. And he gives also Please. ways to do that. So what is now in the, now in the view of Moros and the book? Uh, that Saturnine devotion, Saturnine magic. How would you explain it, explain it to somebody who is a bit new to, to that? And uh, how would you guide him to that? Well, um, I, I can only guess now what what Morris would be saying. And uh, I mean, uh, but my own my own experience with the book is basically that uh, um, Morris tries to, of course, deliver various facets of Saturn and um, uh, Saturn as a magical uh, space which can be tapped into and be used for certain ends or uh, Saturn mm -hmm. as of course a deity which you can um, become closer to in regards to a, um, a ecstatic relationship in that more cosmic biocentric sense uh, uh, as I've described uh, just now um, and I believe mm -hmm. uh, He describes uh, very interesting rituals uh, which can be used. Uh, you know, he uses some from non-sources, you know, uh, Islamic and, 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 and PGM, mm. I think, is in there as well. And, and, mm. and shows yes. how, in a, how they can be modernized, in a, of course, uh, to make them uh, workable and useful today. Um, and the beauty of the book, in my opinion, is that um, regardless of what tradition you come from, you don't have to be subscribing to my um, convictions of a cosmic gnosis you can actually be a very yes. um uh, mund uh, mundane or uh, or um even a, a, a typical um western uh, more logocentric magician and make use of um, the rituals and um, the things uh, moros talks about because he manages much better than i would have managed in a book um to give uh, a, a kind of non-dogmatic um pathway into the reality of saturn um While I do believe, however, that if you come from a more uh, or from a less mind controlled environment or uh, uh, environment which is less about controlling things with your mind, um, you will have more mm -hmm. chances to um, allow the Saturnian powers to unfold. So the less fearful you are um, of demonic and I say, I say demonic now in that in that in that general sense um the less afraid not as not in like childish demons or something but uh if yes. the less afraid you are of enthusing demonic forces and the more open you are to their presence um the better you will be able to um connect to the demonium of saturn in any of its expressions mm -hmm. or manifestations and of course you may have a cultural preference 
Um, and he explains, and that's the beauty of it as well, he explains various cultural models, um, and so do I actually in my essay. Um, I do explain various cultural um, manifestations of Saturn and uh, depending on preference, one could use one or the other to tap into that um, cr uh, cross-culturally present demonium of Saturn. That's yeah. how I would put it. Yeah. How would you see the association of Saturn with suffering? What is your view on that? Because it comes sometimes through that, through that challenge, through the difficulties that the term poses, etc. Of course, it imposes a lot of suffering. What's what's your take on that? Well, I think there are, there are two there are two types of suffering. There's the one suffering that's in, that Saturn imposes on the logocentric person. I think um, because yeah. uh, I, I write about this in my essay as well where i believe that uh, one of the baneful or that or the powers considered baneful um, and problematic uh, in today's world uh, by saturn is his power to basically puncture our logocentric um, perceptions uh, and our progress our mm -hmm. ascent towards transcendentalism our goals that we make in life our linear uh, experience uh, that we want to um, live by and so forth so the suffering that he brings by um, hindering you to achieve your um, you know projected goals and uh, other things that we um, that our logocentric reality wants us to achieve or wants us to live by basically he obstructs the ethos or the rules of a logocentric reality and that brings suffering to the logocentric person but it wouldn't be suffering mm -hmm. to the biocentric person and that's very important so we have that type of suffering first then however i do believe they're suffering as part of fate um, sometimes i believe suffering is not something that's negative it's then i would be more uh, see it more as a um as a as a nietzschean where suffering um gives opportunity for glory in a sense we suffer because we are fighting through a hard time or we suffer because we are challenged um by fate we could say um in certain moments of our lives and um this however gives uh, us opportunity to test ourselves again um where we stand with our lives and um how we live it and um how we are able to um manage uh what fate has dished out to us. Um, and maybe it mm -hmm. helps people to abandon themselves a little more to uh, fate itself, um, to basically uh, see life not as a competition with others, but to understand what fate really means. And that um, living uh, within their own fate as successfully as possible is the only ultimate triumphant path they can actually take. Um, and it's not so much, of course, the competition you have with others in career and life and progress on the path, you know, is your own path and your own fate that is your testing, uh, testing uh, arena. But sometimes that. But sometimes that um, gnosis auton, discover yourself, is the hardest bit of all, even though it's at the very beginning and at the end exactly of everything, right. isn't it? Exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. David talking, about David, talking about beginning and end. We're coming to the end of our talk, I'm afraid. Um, but before I let you go, um, uh, well, you're gonna tell us tell us about your 
next plans well the book on hedonism we had that already so we hope it will now be written well, soon but are there other things we are we should be looking forward or, well, or that you well, would like glad to mention I managed to write that <laughs> that long chapter on uh, you know the saturnian gnosis uh, before uh, you know i would have done nothing but well yeah i would say yeah. um hopefully the adonism project can be finalized uh fairly soon. But of course, you know, there will be some good publication by Theon Publishing uh, coming out in the next uh, couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, we are also uh, planning, I think I can uh, say it for the first time publicly, we are planning also a reprint uh, of um, the Cosmogonic Eros, which was very popular and which sold out. And uh, I yeah. think it's a very, mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of academic actually and esoteric um, demand for it. So we feel obliged uh, basically very to, nice. um, you know, release it again. So we hopefully mm -hmm. this will be something that's uh, soon announced uh, elsewhere. But yeah. Thanks for breaking, Thanks for yeah, breaking sure. the news. And um, yeah, and uh, of course, you know, I'm very busy always with my own initiates and uh, with my own uh, groups. This is, of course, where my main esoteric sure. focus is on. And everything else I do publicly um, outside of that uh, environment is, is, is only something I do when uh, I really have time for it. But there will be new mm -hmm. things coming. And I hope uh, uh, I can announce some uh, bits and pieces fairly soon. Fingers crossed, you know, okay, fingers great. crossed. Absolutely. Well, we'll see where the world takes us over see the next what few what the months. fate has in store, right? Uh, absolutely. Well David, well, David, thank you so much for being with us here again today. Uh, it was lovely it to was have lovely you back. To be here. Good luck for all your projects and and, and new ideas. And um, well, I am sure it won't have been the last time well, that I'm we met you. I'm looking forward to the next service. time. Okay, thank you. He saw what it was. What, what, what.
Abraxas. The third and last track for today from The Orphic Rite of the Cult of Sedna by Lars Olivain, our fervent listener. Right, and well, it's amazing how time flies. Episode 12, that was already in this new season. New. I said new. It's still new to me. 12 weeks. My goodness, that flies. Right. So next week, it's episode 13. For those of you who are superstitious, listen anyway. I don't know. I'm in a humorous way today. Okay. Great. So next week, you know, first of all, I have to thank David Best for being with us. I forgot that. Sorry about that. David, thank you. It was lovely to have you on the show. And I am really looking forward to hear much more from you. We are in regular touch. I think you can tell a little bit by the easy way we have in talking on the show. But um, um, it's always great to talk to David. Right. So, yes, now you want to know who will be my guest next week in episode 13, right? Okay. Well, it will be Jason Reed. Jason Reed, who is from the UK, as you can probably tell from his name, but who is not only interested and deeply knowledgeable, he is also a practitioner and he has really studied Chinese magic. I found it interesting. We do not normally do Eastern tradition on this show, but he is a Westerner who has gotten involved with that. And um, he really knows what he's talking about. And he also links many, many thoughts of the Western tradition um, to the Eastern tradition. I say link. I don't say he mixes. I say he, he well, you you judge for your health, yourself. I really found that interview with him and the talk with him extremely interesting and really liked it, must say. So I hope you will too next week, next week, um, uh, which will be November the 21st, Sunday again. And um, well, in the meantime, I hope you're all healthy and safe. Uh, that pandemic keeps bugging us, well, more than bugging us, I must say. It's really getting on our nerves slowly. And I just hope that all of you who have maybe had that uh, COVID and are recovering speedily and are doing well. And um, yeah, just, just be careful. It's a nasty bug, that one. Right. So do take care. Have a good week. And then, yeah, let's put it another way. Take care. Stay tuned. Hear you soon.